0: So it's a privilege to be here with you uh, this morning. Excited to continue in our uh, practice series on the scriptures. So if you are new, let me welcome you again. Um, You know, first time or you've been here a couple times or maybe you came a couple months ago and you're back and just kind of going, where are we at? What are we doing? Um, Here at York Alliance, you know, we are firmly based and rooted on the scriptures and all of church life and certainly on Sunday mornings, as you heard, even in our worship. And thank you, worship team, it's a great job in doing that. Um, in leading us. And so right now we're in the middle of a, we're starting and we're not quite in the middle, but a second week into a practice series. So oftentimes we'll be working through a book or a section of a book and we do that throughout the year. Sometimes we come to um, a certain thing where we'll, we'll study a certain topic. So the, the topic we're studying right now in our practice series is the scriptures. And so um, each each week we'll kind of build on The other, but they can they do sort of stand alone. But the common theme, of course, will be scripture, its value, you know, its relevance in our lives, and how we engage it. Um, So, if you want to open your your Bibles back to John five, we'll be looking through the first couple chapters of John briefly um, as an overview, just to give ourselves some sense. Uh, I want to say thank you to um, Brian and the elders and uh, Pastor Tim, who also helped me with a couple things, so I could focus a little more on this this week. Um, I don't know if I said my name, Scott Logan, in case you're new. It's just um, like Lindsay, I'm on staff here. I uh, work mostly in worship arts and connections. This was something in another, not quite another life, but a while ago I did more of, and um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to share the word with you. Um, first things first, apart from, apart from the clock, um, I just want to warn you ahead of time, if you need to leave now, uh, there's no Dallas Willard quotes, okay? But to be fair, Brian didn't have one last week either. I mean, I'm still kind of reeling from that, you know? Um, and then also I have no ice cream metaphors. So if, if, that, if that won't work for you, I know for a lot of you, that's something you need a, di- a diet of every week. So feel free to leave, no offense, taken. Um, there's a lot of other good stuff in the scriptures. If you want to stay for that, I think you'll be blessed by it. Um, I do want to review, just it's helpful when we're doing a series, just to kind of look back a little bit and try to make some connective, you know, develop some connective tissue in our minds. Um, So Brian kind of gave a general overview. It was in a lot of different passages last week. Uh, And I wanted to come back um, to a passage or to a quote here from Andrew Wilson in Unbreakable just to kind of set our framework for it. Ultimately, you see our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ the man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, arisen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. Um, this is something like we, I, we just finished our Crossroads classes and I was teaching a class on faith, seeking understanding, and the importance, you know, Hebrews tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God and he that comes to God must believe that he is so we're believing in God first and that he rewards those who seek him. And, and so, uh, again, Brian had mentioned, you, know, you may come to this sort of series and go, you, you may be churched your whole life and it's scripture, it's like, yeah, of course we believe in scripture. Like we're all in. Um, there's challenge for those of us, who that's our story. Um, you may be sort of 50-50 where you're like, some, of, some scripture makes sense to me, some of it's a little nutty. Um, and to be fair, some of it's pretty tough. And, and there's, there's a lot for us to be challenged on. And we can't always make sense of it, but we're gonna come to it again and again. Or perhaps you're just like, I don't really know what the Bible is. Um, I just know there's some nice people here. Or I broke down on the side of the road and I, I walked in here this morning. You know, wherever you're at in that journey, we're happy to have you, uh, happy to journey with you. So please don't feel like, if you don't understand everything going on, um, come talk to us. We'd love to meet you where you're at. I know it can be hard to sometimes come in church and hear churchy things. Um, but happy to have you join us on the journey after Jesus uh, as, we, as we look to him. I want to get, begin with a prayer from a thought from a book that we'll reference later by Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor for almost 40 years in the Baltimore area and responsible for the, the message uh, translation of the Bible. He says Christians feed on Scripture, Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it, take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism, and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, as we just did, feet washed in company with the Son." And so we come to you, Father, this morning, your people, and we look to you and we open your word, and we know that in it are the words of life, but sometimes, as Elise said, Lord, we can get familiar, and we can go by recipe or by rote, and we can miss things that are there for us, and so I pray through your spirit, God, you would open our eyes our hearts, and our minds, into seeing the way Jesus saw, into reading the Bible that he read, uh, and transform us in this, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. So, we'll re- review just a couple of points, pretty simple stuff this morning. I want to keep it real simple and concise. Um, this particular passage again when we're we're preaching a series it's kind of theological preaching and teaching it's not classic exposition where we're going you know verse by verse chunk by chunk and the continuity is there every week and so it can be kind of difficult we won't always get to to park as much in the passage where we're at because we're trying to you know do an overarching view on the scriptures uh, first of all just a quick look into John's gospel which is, of course, where our passage will be this morning, what he has to say about Jesus, and Jesus will be speaking to us out of it. Of course, we'll be looking at the Bible that Jesus read. Again, reminding ourselves that, like, first-century Christians, but Jews as well, didn't have this, right? They didn't have, like, they had scrolls and parchments and fragments, and they were kept in the synagogue, and people didn't have access to them. And so Jesus also was not just walking around with an Old Testament. He embodied it and knew it, and many of them had it memorized. It's, it's mind-numbing, actually, when you study how much they absorbed the Scriptures. and But they had to, in some ways. Um, and so, anyway, the Bible that Jesus read, and then the simple question, what's the point? What's the point of what we're doing in this practice series? What's the point of what we'll hear this morning? How does it change and affect um, our lives? So, beginning in John's Gospel... As we come to our text this morning, uh, it, it's helpful just to understand a bit of the context before we get to what's Jesus saying to us in chapter 5, 30 through 47. We want to just look back over what John's developed in the gospel a bit uh, to give us a sense, it'll make better sense of why Jesus is saying uh, what he's saying. And that is a simple point. When we come to scripture, like context is a really important thing. Uh, it's easy for us. It's sometimes, again, to, to illustrate, you know, Elisa's point, there are some things that are very programmatic for us and places we know that we should go for certain things. Or we pull out an old recipe or, a, a, you know, a verse that we've memorized and we sort of recite it to ourselves and we may not be thinking about what I call the connective tissue around it and how that informs uh, what it's meant to say. So uh, we'll be talking about a Sabbath controversy. The issue at, at hand and at stake this morning is that Jesus, of course, is doing signs and wonders and he does them on the Sabbath, he's so audacious as to say that he's working, his father's working, he's using key words, he's stirring up the crowd, and for a purpose, of course, and uh, he's working on the Sabbath, and as you know, that was a big no-no in Jewish Jewish life, Um, so that's ultimately what we'll get to. If we go back to the beginning in John's prologue, he kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book, We're introduced to Jesus, the light who comes into the world. The world does not receive that light, but the true light comes into the world, brings light to every man. And we're also introduced to John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, who in verse 123 is echoing Isaiah's words, make straight the way of the Lord. And we'll see John the Baptist again in a few minutes uh, in our passage. If you come to chapter 2 then, we see that we have the first miracle. You may be familiar with the first miracle of Jesus at Cana, where he turned water into wine, a beautiful thing that he did on behalf of uh, those at a wedding. So here come the signs of Jesus. John's known in John's gospel. Uh, miracles are referred to as signs, in particularly his language that he uses. So Jesus begins to show his power and show his uniqueness. And, of course, people sit up and, and watch um, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus goes and cleanses the temple, and he demonstrates zeal for his father's house, uh, which is a phrase that the Jews would have recognized uh, from what we would call the Old Testament. He also goes on in 18 through 22 of chapter 2 to predict his own resurrection. So again, just we want to get a cumulative sense that Jesus is going about doing, to, to human thinking, crazy things. Uh, outstanding things, amazing things, but he's also making outlandish claims. He's, he's talking about his power. He's claiming divinity and equality with God. And uh, while that, that's not, that takes us a little bit to kind of think about because that's not shocking for us, uh, particularly if you've been in church or, you know, even in, in America, if you went out and someone might not believe in God, they, they, they probably wouldn't, you know, think you're too outlandish if you said, I, I do, and I believe you know, in God's power and Jesus. And so um, it's not a criminal act to say that, but in Jesus' case, we'll see that it is uh, in their estimation. In, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast in 2.23, it says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, understandably, right? So he's in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believe in his name. Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So here we get this sort of commentary from John about, again, John's witnessing to Jesus through his gospel, saying Jesus knew everything that was going on. And there's a little bit of a wordplay in the Greek, the the word for faith, and and for that that group of words is pistuo, and uh, it says that they believed, because of the signs, But he did not, so belief also sometimes equated with trust, right? If we entrust ourselves to Jesus. But it says he did not believe them. He did not entrust himself to them. So they believe him, but he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men, right? So Jesus is the light, comes in the world, the light shined and the darkness did not comprehend it, right? He came to his own and his own received him not. Back in the prologue we find, so Jesus knows that a lot of them are not believing in him, so he does not entrust himself to them. Uh, his, and again, you will find demonstration of the fact that he knew all people is very interesting. It kind of sets the stage because these next two encounters he'll have in chapter three with Nicodemus, perhaps something uh, a story you're familiar with, and in chapter four, the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus will, will show his extraordinary knowledge of these people. And I would encourage you to read those accounts if you haven't or haven't read them recently, to see how Jesus engages so meaningfully and and in a piercing way with people. And he he asks provocative questions and he demonstrates his knowledge and it's just uncommon. And people continually stop and kind of, you know, like, this is not normal. This is not a normal rabbi. Rabbis don't have this kind of knowledge. Um, So, and at the same time, word's getting out, things are happening, and this is becoming offensive to people. So we come back to Cana in four chapter four, verses 46 through 54, with the healing of the official's son, right? An official comes to him from another place and says, my son needs healing. And Jesus says, he'll be healed. He goes back and his servants come and say he was healed at a particular time. And he remembers and recalls that that's the time he was with Jesus. Uh, so he's healing people. He's doing miracles, performing signs, amazing things that Jesus is doing. This is the context, this is the background for the stories that we'll be in, uh, and he's doing this regularly as part of his ministry. So we're back to chapter 5 and the Sabbath healing. Um, so again, we're talking about a man, a paralytic, who had been infirm for 38 years at the pool. And of course, you may, you may know the, the waters are stirred and people have to get down to the pool to you know, receive healing. He has no one to carry him. Jesus heals this man miraculously, tells him to take up his bed and walk. He does, and of course, the good religious people of the day see him doing something he shouldn't do, like walk after he's healed. But of course, they, they're not getting the bigger picture. The miraculous thing, I And mean, think about that, how crazy that would be. This, this is a well-known person that in, in their community. He's healed after almost four decades. And instead of being like, obviously, who healed you? But how amazing is that? Like, tell me about it. What is happening here? It's like, um, what are you doing carrying your bed? And and to his credit, he says, I love it. He, he just says, I don't know who it was, but the man who healed me told me to do it. And I I don't know about you, but if I was lame for 38 years and someone healed me so that I can walk and <laughs> And said, pick up your, I'm pretty sure you don't stop there. Right? You don't get up, but you're like, ah, don't want to violate the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's all been violated. Jesus is violating it, of course, in their minds, but Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, so he's not really violating it. But, you know, what an amazing thing, and, and this is what we see, find in Scripture again and again, like they're just missing it. Like amazing things are happening, and they're just missing it because they're caught up in the recipe. They're caught up in the scriptures that they know and have taken into their lives and have all figured out, and we'll see, are missing the Lord and all that he's doing um, right in front of them. So I, I just love that story when he's like, the one who healed me, and I just feel like there would be a little bit of like, you know, the one who healed me, not the one who gave me grief about picking up my bed. Like, you've done nothing for me for 38 years and this guy heals me, and you think I'm worried about my bed, right? And, of course, in Jewish tradition, there's, there's all these crazy laws, and one of them was, interestingly enough, you could, you could carry a bed with someone on it. You couldn't carry one that was empty. So they have issue with him, but ultimately, right, they don't care about this guy. It's just they want to get to Jesus. So they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. This guy's upending their world, and it's like, what's going on? Who's this guy? What, what's happening? They want to get to Jesus, Um. So, so much so that, I mean, they're just in a frenzy. Um, Jesus said, so they were, excuse me, it says in 5 verse 18, chapter 5 verses 18, that they're looking to kill him. So... Uh, Jesus says in 16 and 17, well, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he is doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So again, he's not just like, I'm doing miracles and signs. He uses language that's like, that's right, I'm working on the Sabbath. It's like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, it's like, that's happening. Yes, you see correctly, and I'm fine with it. Other people are trying to hide the fact that they're doing stuff on the Sabbath. Jesus is just out in the open and by that of course demonstrating your laws and regulations mean nothing to me because Jesus knows who he is and they don't and he's like my father's working and so am I and uh, it's hard to, to really appreciate like what they're Feeling and we can just say, I mean, it's a pretty violent situation here. This is why in verse 18, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. It's like, I mean, so, so did the guy who picked up his bed, but he was just walking and dancing around doing whatever, like he didn't claim to be with the Father. So it's bad enough that you're breaking the Sabbath, but now Jesus is making himself equal with God. And in that day and age, that culture, the Jewish culture, that was blasphemy. It was an outrageous claim um, that Jesus made and it carried, it was a capital offense and it carried with it the death penalty. So again, I mean, and we know this from the story of Jesus' passion. I mean, these people that put him to death regarded themselves as doing the right thing. Like they thought they were bringing him to justice. They thought it was legitimate uh, in in certain ways, right? Um, They probably knew better in their hearts and there's all kinds of things going on, but it was was allowable technically, it was an offense. and of course, we know from Jesus' side, because he knows who he is, it's not actually offense. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to him. Um, so, um, we're up to, so the Bible that Jesus read. So that's, that's a little glimpse of John's gospel, things that are working up to where we're going to be today, uh, focusing a little bit more. Um, so what is the Bible that Jesus read? We already talked about it. It's the Old Testament scriptures, right, as I mentioned earlier, and he saw the Old Testament scriptures as descriptive of himself. We know that um, you'll find in your practice guide this week a reference to the Emmaus Road, and that story that two, two men were on the road, and Jesus comes to them, surprises them. Um, it's pretty shocking. And, but what an amazing experience Jesus basically. It's like, hey, you want a little devotional? Like Jesus walks with them, and he explains uh, from the scriptures about him, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then they went near to the village and he disappeared, he vanished, it says, and they said to each other in verse 32, uh, "Did, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And I mean, has anyone had that experience, just to be clear? All right, there's things happening in Africa and Asia and South America and all kinds of places that they can happen here. They do happen here occasionally, not as much. And so we are looking and believing that God will do that sort of work in his spirit, in his people. And, and I'm asking and praying for us this morning that our hearts will burn, like within us, that we would be a people here at York Alliance who would not just come and love to sing songs and give some money, and hear a decent sermon, depending on who's preaching, sorry, but, uh, and, and then just be like, okay, as, as you all know, I mean, you know this, this is the recipe. And, and then just kind of hope it carries us through. And as Brian said many times, it's like that, that's not gonna last till like Monday <coughs> breakfast, but how do we engage the scripture? So this practice series is to say, the scriptures are important for us. They're, they're massively important to Jesus in his own self understanding, his awareness, and again, the way he employs them in his life. And, and so, so too, we ought to be immersed in Scripture, devoting ourselves to it, and, and hearing from the Lord and his Spirit so much so that our hearts burn within us when we hear from God and his Spirit. And so I pray that that would happen for us this morning and as we carry on um, in this series. <clears throat> Philip Yancey has a quote about this Emmaus Road encounter. He says, today we need an Emmaus Road experience in reverse. Uh, The disciples knew Moses and the prophets, but they could not conceive how they might relate to Jesus the Christ. You know, as, as you walk and read with the disciples, you know, you're kind of like, they're always asking strange questions, strange to us, because we have more of the story, right? And we, but it's like, whoa, these guys don't get stuff. And Jesus, not just with the disciples, with many people, Nicodemus, like, are you a teacher of Israel and don't you know these things? He's he's saying like you should know better you should know better are you paying attention to what's actually being said Um, so they can't conceive how they relate to Christ but the modern church we know about Jesus but we're fast losing any grasp of Moses and the prophets and so again this piece this portion just this week uh, Brian's was to set the tone last week in a broad way Uh, this is to remind us like the Old Testament is also important for our lives we can get caught up. Um, I've, I've been places in my journey where the New Testament was just privileged in an, in an absurd way uh, and like you just were never in the Old Testament unless it was for prophecy and the fun stuff like that but there's a lot in the Old Testament b- beside prophecy and I would argue even more fun stuff than prophecy um, if we get there but this is the Bible that Jesus read that Jesus wasn't thinking about the New Testament he's living it and it's developing of course under his rule and reign but So how do we engage Moses and the prophets? We learn from Jesus, and we learn to read from Jesus and to see the things that he's seeing. Um, And this is really what Jesus is always doing in his discourses and debates. Everywhere he's going, coming and going, uh, and in our passage as well, he gives a defense of his ministry, and he's telling people, like, this is how things are. This is how they should be. This is how they were. This is what you're not seeing, what you're not understanding. And he's uh, so one of the things I love most when you read Jesus is like he's asking, he answers questions with questions. So oh, there's a joke and it's not really a joke in my family. It's my joke, but um, it's not, we don't share it. But I often will say that of like, dad, that, that, that. And I'm like, like Jesus, I'm going to respond with a question. And um, occasionally I really just do that to get an eye roll from my wife. Um, so that's one of my favorite things. But Jesus often, he's, he just doesn't give pat answers. He's always probing for for things that are deeper than what where most people are living right and he's trying to to draw them out and stir their hearts up from the scriptures Um, and so for us too when we come to scripture it's really important that we sit with it and that we soak in it and we not just again there's help and there's there's good in memorizing a verse uh, many verses and making reference and things and uh, you know writing them up but and doing things in three to five, ten minute, um, you know, groupings of devotional life. And sometimes that's needed and necessary. It's, it's part of it all. But like we won't really grow and know the way of Jesus if we don't immerse ourselves in Scripture. And so the appeal in this book that, that you'll hear from Peterson is <clears throat> the title of the book is Eat This Book. And he's referencing the scroll in John that's given to John and it says, eat this scroll. And it's that Christians need to take and consume and devour uh, the word uh, for real transformation in our lives. So we come to our passage this morning where, again, there's this fever pitch of that Jesus has violated the Sabbath. He's doing works and signs and wonders. They want him dead. Um, it's a really heightened atmosphere. And so Jesus is giving an account. He's not in a formal trial, but you know, he's, he's using rhetoric to engage the people here, and um, he, he continues to make claims all throughout. The reason we went back from chapter one and just through those little snippets and different events is to say Jesus in all these things is really building a case for himself as the Son of God as, and as God himself, and he continually says things that upend the, the Jewish community. They're, you're not allowed to say these things. They're blasphemous. Um, he establishes his own authority in John, right, you know, uh, John 5, right prior to our um, section, right, so they're seeking to kill him, he's making himself equal to God, Jesus says, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, for whatever the father done, does, the son does likewise, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he is himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So uh, this is, and the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So he makes a claim that he can give life to whoever he will, and that judgment has been given to him. And again, in the Jewish mindset, judgment is solely refrained, uh, reserved for God. No one else. For So someone to make this claim that they can judge is to say, I am God. And, um, you know, incredibly alarming to them. Also, we find, Jesus says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Um, you know, amazing that prior to this, worship was reserved for the Father, and now Jesus is coming and claiming to be the Son and saying, now it's appropriate to worship me and the Father. So just try to imagine that your whole life and hundreds of years of the tradition and someone else coming to you being like, no, I'll I'll take that worship, and I'll actually, I'll give life, I'll have judgment. It's reserved for me. It's given to me actually so that you'll honor me. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He's granted the Son also to have life in Himself and given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And we'll go to Daniel 7 in a minute. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is his favorite moniker, his favorite title, used over 80 times in the gospel to refer to him, taken from Daniel 7, which again, even though we probably, if any of you can pull up Daniel 7 in your mind and imagination, speak now, um, right? They, they could. They, they know what the Son of Man, and they're remembering back to where that is. Listen to Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, dominion, glory, all people and languages shall serve him, everlasting dominion. Jesus goes, that's who I am. doesn't go over well, right, and, and there's, again, so much so, like, we, we hear crazy things, we, we're not inclined to want to kill people, I mean, hopefully not, um, if we are, we got bigger issues, right, so we need to read other parts of scripture, too, but it's like, yeah, we're like, yeah, that guy's nuts, but, but he's so offensive to them in their system, he's undoing, as, as we've heard before, Jesus's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, I mean, he's, he's turning theological and spiritual emotional tables over not just tables in the temple Um, and so this is what he says and his favorite uh, name for himself uh, the son of man so we come in verse 30 and jesus says i i can do nothing on my own as i hear i judge and my judgment is just because i seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me if i alone bear witness about myself my testimony is not deemed true now this is not an autobiographical thing of jesus going uh, the stuff I say isn't really true. It wouldn't, this is in, in the culture, Jesus is acknowledging that it won't do any good for him to defend himself. He knows that that's like, disregarded and not allowable to them. So he brings in three witnesses, the first of which is John the Baptist. And again, we've seen uh, some of his ministry through the first couple chapters. Um, There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has... Uh, born witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Here's Jesus's words about John the Baptist, 535. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Hmm. So Jesus has good words to say about his witness. It says, John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp. Uh, Some commentators say it's interesting that he chose lamp and not light. As a, as a, again, a lesser form of the light that Jesus showed. Jesus comes into the world and all the world is changed through his light. The darkness can't comprehend it, uh, overwhelm it. John is a lesser light, but pointing to Jesus. And so he's a lamp, but he's burning um, brightly. And what an amazing thing, a burning and shining lamp and doing his job. What an awesome thing to have Jesus say about you. And so on a, on a real low level application, it's just like, Obviously, we may never hear Jesus say that specific thing to us, but could he say that of us? Like, what does your lamp look like? Um, I'm challenged by that. You know, a burning, shining lamp. Do we point to Jesus? Do we deflect glory from ourselves as John the Baptist did? Now, he, he must increase, I must decrease, and make way for the Lord. Like, what in your life right now... Is, is allowing and making way for the Lord. And in what way are you a burning and shining lamp? Well, what an amazing thing it would be for York Alliance to be full of burning, shining lamps because of our passion and a zeal for the Lord and for his word. Um, so John the Baptist, he pulls and he says, actually, I have a greater witness than that, the father. Um, and he says, I don't, he says a couple things that have to do with this, the cultural setting and, and people where they, they choose people who they honor Um, it says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So these signs you're seeing, that's proof that the Father has sent me because there's all kinds of other rabbis and religious leaders, they're not doing these things. So his signs, of course, testify to him. And then, but the Father himself has sent me, borne witness about me. Right? John the Baptist saw that when the, and the dove descends upon him and my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. This is what he's referring to. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Now remember, this is Jesus saying to the religious leaders, the church people and leaders in the church community, Right, you haven't heard God's voice and you have not seen his form and you do not have his word abiding in you. A lot of these leaders had the, the entire Old Testament memorized. It's, it's hard, again, to even fathom, but it, it at least the first five books of the law and large portions, massive portions memorized, it's literally, in the, I mean, if, if, if you did that, if you had that and I came to you and I was like, you don't have God's word in you, what are you talking about? Right? But Jesus says, like, you don't believe the one whom he has sent. Because what good is the word in you if you don't believe what the word says. I mean, it's that simple. It's astounding. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what's the Bible that Jesus read? (laughs) It's, It's, that's all about me. And I'm right in front of you, compelling you, to believe, and you won't have it. And and not only will you not come to me for life, you're coming to me for my death. Like, just completely missing it, right? I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. You do not have the love of God within you. So it's possible for us to have scriptures in us and not have them in us. It's possible for us to know the recipe back and forth to keep the laws and the commands and out of misplaced zeal be coming to do violence to the one who's coming to give life to us. I have come in my Father's name, verse 43, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. An argument from lesser degree. He's like... People come all the time and they just say, they say their own name or their buddy's name. It's like, But I come in my Father's name. Like church people, about the scriptures that you know about your entire lives are absorbed and I come in God's name and you won't have me. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. And he brings in his third witness. So interesting. So this is an indictment. I mean, this is a condemnation. He's he's building a case again and again, right? He's done these works. He's made these outlandish claims. I, I raise the dead. I have judgment reserved for me. I have creative power. I give life. I'm equal with five. so. He's got them all worked up, and but then he's condemning them because despite all of that, like you don't see what's right in front of you. So he brings in his last witness, Moses. Now, it's, it's hard for us to really appreciate uh, the, the space that Moses has in the life of Jewish thought. Uh, but he is venerated and revered. He is the epitome of a Jew. He is all things. They would revere him in, the, in a similar way to the way that we think of Jesus. They thought of Moses. And then looking for the Messiah to come, uh, you know, a lot of them, of course, looking for something political. But like Moses was the man in Jewish life and thought. And so Jesus brings him in, and it says, uh, there's one who accuses you, Moses. So he's like, I'm I'm just going to let you live in what you're doing right here. I I don't even need to bring other accusations against you. Your own system condemns you because you have set your hope on Moses. It says, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Like, what an amazing thing. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So again, I mean they're always making appeals to Moses. Well, Moses taught us this. Moses taught us, and Jesus is like, you don't even buy that. Because if you believed Moses, like he was pointing to me. If you believed him, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you don't believe the writings, the scrolls, the manuscripts, this precious scripture that was. You know, renowned in the Jewish community and Moses, who is venerated. You know, uh, it goes on like chapter six, Jesus will, John develops the story of Jesus, who is the bread of life, who claims, I'm the true bread of life. Moses gave you man in the wilderness. He, he straight up says, like, I'm better than Moses. I'm giving life through bread that, that actually gives life, right? I'm the bread of life. You eat that bread, you're hunger still. And so Jesus sets himself up over Moses. Uh, Hebrews. Three, makes to appeal that someone greater than Moses is here. So again and again, Moses, it's like, can you be better than Moses? We don't have to go lower than Moses. Moses is the man. And it's like, but Jesus makes Moses look like child's play, you know, effectively. And so um, he says, you don't believe his writings. How will you believe my words? Like what an amazing thing. Like he's sitting there talking with these people. And he knows the scriptures better than them, but they know it well. It's, it's not like they're ignorant in, in the classic. You know, it's, they, they know, but they don't see. And they have, have Moses' writings that are about Jesus, and Jesus is right in front of them saying, if you don't believe his, how will you believe my words? And so the question for us is like, what do we know like of scripture? And some of us know a lot. And that's not bad unless we're missing Jesus in it. And so I ask you this morning, in, in what way are you missing Jesus in the Scripture? So our last application point, or the only application point, what's the point? Like, what's the point of all this, this series and what we're doing? Um, again, Andrew Wilson from Unbreakable. When we read the Scriptures, Jesus is the centerpiece, He's the one the photographer was trying to capture. We're there too in the background, and we can appreciate that and give thanks for it. But the Bible isn't about you; it's about him. Right? I'll include myself, right? So it's not about us; it's about him. And uh, I was helped in between services. Someone I was like, I don't know the technical terms, and they're like aperture. Thank you, Todd Lloyd. when we read the scriptures, Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the one the photographers trying to capture. And I was trying to say like, you know, you see someone in focus, you see blurry things behind and the field of vision. And so you photographer people like run with that on your own and, and then come share our applications with it. Uh, but so the scriptures are trying to capture Jesus and everything else is in the background, essentially. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. Uh, again, some of us like to make ourselves important, right? Sort of photobomb and like to make ourselves more important and so, and so that's part of the appeal too is when we come to scripture and we come to a text are we seeing what's important to us are we are we thinking with man's uh view and so we kind of have to work on our, our hermeneutics right the science of interpretation so you'll 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 find in your practice guide uh, brian made reference to the story about like david and goliath and how sometimes on a simplistic view allegorically we can go oh okay david did something courageous he showed faith and as you all know songs about it it's it's like oh you have a giant in your life you have a big meeting you got to slay and you know you don't walk in with stones and your sword but it's like ah you know have faith and so there's some good spiritual applications it's not to destroy that but is there something greater at stake there like the god of israel who is so powerful and so magnificent in the mind of this young shepherd who is underrated right undersized He's the faith-fueled underdog and he, he takes on the big blasphemous bully, Goliath, because his sovereign creator, he's, and, and again, that's the creator of both of those men. One acknowledges it and one doesn't. And this fuels David's faith, but, but the story is about God and his amazing power, and his sovereign hand over his enemies, that he can deliver even his enemies and your enemies into your hand. Of course, then we have the story through David. So, um, I was glad he put that in the practice guide because we recently had a similar situation at home. Rosemary was teaching Isaac, um, our five-year-old, about this story. And of course, like little boys, I loved this story. I used to sing about it, make up songs. Well, little boy doesn't love the story, you know, for obvious reasons, as you'll see, right? So it's cool. It's like, that doesn't happen much. Let's, let's hear more about that. So she shares the story, teaches them, tries to draw out this greater principle about God. And she said, but, you know, so what did you learn from that story? And um, I don't think he took too much time to reflect, uh, but it was obvious, like the point of the story. He said that when people are mean to us, we can throw rocks at them and chop off their heads. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like parenting fail, seminary dad fail, pastor fail, like I don't know, fails everywhere. You're thinking like, oh, not even close, dude. Like not even close. Like give me something about God's glory. No, like people are mean to us throw rocks. We're like, eh, I mean, that does happen. Let, let's, let's not go the chopping the head route, though. And um, so it's like, but he has to be taught to see as God sees. And, and we need that as well. And we need Jesus to come alongside of us, like in the mass road, and explain things to him. We need the teaching of the church, the exhortation of the, each other in life together, to, to hear the communal voice of God in our lives, to get us past our self-absorbed Um, you know, interpretations of Scripture. And so um, the applications are fairly simple. You know, Jesus made, one of them is Jesus made constant use of and reference to the Scriptures. We should too. You know, we're gonna be accosted for our faith as Jesus was. Some things in the world never change and the teachings of Jesus Christ have and always will be offensive and troubling to those who hear them, to many, to those who don't believe, right? Like Jesus will be questioned about the absurdity of our faith or the consistency of our belief system, and like Jesus, scripture itself must be enough for us, it doesn't mean that's the only thing we can say, right, we don't walk around just quoting scripture all the time and say nothing, no social engagement, no interest in anything else, but we don't need to be threatened, Jesus often, I mean, the ultimate threat, Satan coming to Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus is just like, scripture, done, I'm not even, there's not, there's not even an argument, nothing to be going, Jesus knows who he is, And he's not actually threatened by that. And we need to have that kind of confidence in our life that we're not threatened and taken back by everyone that thinks we're nuts. Because we have the assurance in First Corinthians, like it's all foolishness to those who don't believe, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Perhaps you know and believe the words of Scripture as you've heard them your entire life. For most of us, for many of us, to be fair, many of the Jews knew the Hebrew Scriptures again far better than we do. And they revered Moses, but Jesus makes the indictment that they didn't believe what he said based on the current reality and the rejection of Jesus. He says to them, Moses was writing about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so I ask you this morning, do you believe the words of Jesus? Have you taken them into your soul? Do they burn within you? Peterson, again, one last time in Eat This Book, Says, he's I'm interested in cultivating the only kind of reading that is congruent with what is written in our holy scriptures, but also with all writing that is intended to change our lives, not just stuff some information into the cells of our brain. We do not read this book in order to find out how to get God into our lives. We open this book and to find that page after page pulls us into participation with God on his terms. That's what the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with. So our practice series like we have to ask what what area in your life needs to be moved beyond mere reverence in regards to Jesus to faith and obedience to believe the words that Jesus is saying uh, in what way are you just following the recipe is there something you can identify in your life um, right now as, as the worship team comes back up let us not be like those of whom Isaiah prophesied in chapter twenty-nine, thirteen, where he says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So in what way this morning is, is, is there an area where your heart is far from God? And, or maybe just not quite on track. You know, it's tough. I don't feel far from God, but is there something where you need to take faith and obedience? You know, come forward and receive prayer or pray um, by yourself and, and demonstrate in this practice series like I'm ready to walk and step out by faith and to embrace scripture the way Jesus did and let it inform your life. We cannot... Do our mission here, pursue the transformational love of Jesus and seek to build communities that share this love with all people. We can't do that if we are not fully committed to the Bible that Jesus read. We can't just do it with our, you know, we're not Thomas Jefferson. We don't tear stuff out that we don't like, write in what we do. Like that's it's not allowed. (laughs) Frankly, as a follower of Jesus. But have we taken in what's there and do we embrace it? So as John the Baptist reminds us, he must increase, I must decrease. We are not the light, and if honesty prevailed, we we understand the sanctuary is full of messed up people. To greater or lesser degrees, but not really. He who sins, one sin is guilty of all. So we all come to Jesus in need. We all need his illumination, but I believe that as we submit ourselves to Scripture and as we grow in practice of our devotion to Scripture, that we, like John the Baptist, could be a church full of burning lamps. Pointing to the light and maybe so Father we ask that you would do this in our midst God that you would open up the scriptures to us through your spirit in our minds and our imaginations in our community life together through the preaching of the word here God that your word would take hold and that it would nourish us God, and change and transform us, and I pray for our people this morning, Lord, that you would move and stir us to action, to not be satisfied and settled to have a lot of information, but to have little transformation, Uh, and so work in our midst, we pray, in the name of Jesus.